The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. All right, we're in 1 John, and um, welcome if uh, this is your first time with us in the series of 1 John. I do want to encourage you and say that thus far we've recorded all our messages in 1 John, so if you need to go back, please do so. But this morning, we, um, we come to a third assurance, as I would like to put it. I know that various teachers or preachers have always interpreted 1 John to be presented in the form of tests, right? the tests of your salvation. But I've titled our series, 1 John, The Marks of Christian Assurance. The marks of Christian assurance. It's not that we change the meaning of the text. It's simply to look at the text and what it means as an assurance rather than a test of our salvation. Now let me read for us our portion and kind of just introduce for us where I'd like to go this morning. First John chapter 2 from verse 3. He writes and he says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way which He walked. You see, for context's sake, the Apostle John writes this letter pointing us to various assurances of our faith. And so far, we've looked at the assurance of Christ in His humanity and Christ in His work. And that's important for us to understand. You see, because if Christ isn't man, then His sacrifice isn't enough. It cannot pay for the penalty, right? But John proves to us that Jesus Christ truly is 100% man, 100% God. How does He do that? Well, He starts off in chapter 1, verse 1, and He introduces this truth. The next thing John wants us to be aware of is sin and salvation. You see, if we don't know about sin, what's the purpose of salvation? We need to know what we're being saved from. We need to know why we need to be saved. Amen? So John points us to this truth, this reality, that we need salvation from sin. This morning... We come to the topic of knowing God, or the truth about knowing God, or the assurance of knowing God. Let me ask the question, how can we have the assurance of knowing God? Is that a question you have had? Is it a question you sometimes still have? How can I know that I truly know God? 
let's put it this way. Scripture firstly says that it is possible to know that you know God. But not only does the Bible teach that this knowledge is possible, that this assurance is possible, the Bible actually commands us to pursue this knowledge. And that's where I want to start this morning. I want to start with a passage in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Let me show you how Scripture commands us to have this knowledge. The Apostle Peter writes and he says, Be diligent to make sure about God's calling and choosing you. That's a command. He's saying you have to be diligent to make sure that you know God. That He has called you, that He has chosen you. It's your responsibility. It's not a, listen, Christianity is not, I've said a prayer and now I'm passively following along. Peter says, you have to have an awareness, a knowledge, a certainty about this truth. So not only is it a privilege to know that you know God, because that is ultimately security. It's security. But not only is that important or a privilege, but let me say this, a person who doesn't have an assurance of their salvation, are they not in misery? Constantly doubting every prayer, every action. Am I, am I really saved or is this in vain? Uh, when I pray, does the Lord really hear me or am I still lost? Is this something that has ever crossed your mind? Maybe something you struggled as a younger believer. Maybe it's something you've recently struggled with. And then you tell yourself, but no, 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 I, I was baptized 30 years ago, right? I, um, I was confirmed. I've always been a member of a church. Maybe that should be my assurance. Back to the opening of our question. How can we have the assurance of knowing God? John presents us with three ways that we can have the assurance of truly knowing God. The first one is moral. Um, the second is, is relational. And the third is doctrinal. There's three ways of being aware or having this knowledge. And hopefully by the end of this morning, you will come to a firm and certain answer to this question. That you in your own words, biblically, will answer the question, how can I have the assurance of knowing God? Amen? Let's give thanks. Lord, as we've read your word, as we now trust that as we go through each word in every verse, uh, you are revealing to us your truth. And the truth is what it means to know you, what it looks like to know you, and the comfort of having the assurance in knowing you. So Father, we pray that you bless this time now. Amen. I want to read for us verse 2 and 3 again as we get into the first assurance, which is this, knowing God in keeping His commands. 
knowing God in keeping His commands. John says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. Yet whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. So the first thing you need to be aware of is, John is not asking a question. I was asking a question. John is not asking a question. John is not asking, how do we come to know the Lord? He's not asking a salvation question. He is asking, how do you know that you know Him? He's not saying, how do you come to salvation? Or how have you come to know the Lord? John is not dealing with how we're saved. John is not saying, if you want to receive God's grace, then you have to obey Him. John is not saying that if you want to be justified, you need to obey Him. He is not saying, if you want to know God, obey. What John is saying is this. Here is how you know God. It's revealed in your obedience. It's revealed in your obedience. So firstly, John essentially says, we know that we know God by keeping His commandments. We know that we know God when we are obedient to God. I have an example for us this morning. Um, Henry Schaefer was a famous Christian chemist, or is rather, and he tells the story of how he actually rejected Christianity. Now maybe you can relate to this. He was raised in a Christian home. He, he'd been attending church since a young age. But on a given day, he was talking with his dad in the kitchen about an ethical question. And he says, look dad, the Bible says such and such. And to this his dad responded by saying, I know what the Bible says, and it's wrong. In other words, his dad saying what the Bible is saying is wrong. So Henry Schaefer said, at that moment, he decided that Christianity must be nonsense. Because his dad claimed to be a true Christian, yet his dad rejected the teaching of the Bible. So he rejected Christianity in its entirety. But thankfully, the Lord continued to work in this man's heart. And, and Henry later on came to salvation or saving faith. And at that point, he realized that it wasn't that Christianity is nonsense. It was that his father's profession of faith was nonsense. So there's a difference. There's, you think you know God, and there is an actually knowing God. See, the truth is this, if you believe the living God, then you will believe His Word. You will acknowledge that His Word is the final rule for faith and practice. Amen? It doesn't mean that you will keep His law perfectly, because firstly, you, you can't do that. Secondly, it also goes against what John is saying. John's not saying keep the law perfectly for your salvation. In 1 John 1, 
John taught us that Christians will continue to sin. That's the whole teaching of, of sin and salvation. That you will sin, therefore confess your sin and you will be cleansed. So John says, no, no, no. It's not that you have to keep the law perfectly. Rather, John is saying, there are those who love God's word and who love to obey God's word and who by grace have been able to obey God's word. And that's the evidence of knowing God. It's a devotion. You love to keep His Word because you're devoted to Him. You're devoted to His Word. That's the point. In fact, John's point is that knowing God is a fellowship knowledge. You don't just know facts. You don't just know the Ten Commandments. But you share an intimate knowledge with God. And this in turn leads to a transformed life. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 12. That's the transforming of your mind. Is when you're sharing an intimate relationship with Christ. Listen, this is what it means. If we truly know God, then we will never stay the same. But we will be transformed. And we will be continually transforming. Isn't that so? What does Paul teach us? That we would be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ. It's continuous. It's taking place now, here, tomorrow, Lord willing. John's point, or let's move on to verse 4. In verse 4, John says, The one who says, I have come to know him, and he does not keep his commandments. He's what? A liar. We had a science teacher in the fifth grade who used to say, a compulsive liar. And that's what we are. Isn't it? If we do not keep his word, then we are compulsively lying. We're, we're in that habit of rejecting the truth. John's point here is, if you claim to know God, but your life hasn't changed by knowing Him, then it's a sign you don't know God. See, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His commandments, needs to point you to change. But if change isn't taking place, then there's no evidence of salvation. Something's missing. John doesn't say, you have the truth, but don't put it into practice. John doesn't say, you have head knowledge, but don't have heart knowledge. John says, you have no truth. Pretty striking, isn't it? You have no truth. So the evidence of having God's truth is that you will be changing. You will be conforming. Because here's the fact, God's truth always leads to love. God's truth always leads to obedience. And God's truth, therefore, leads to a transformed life. And if those things aren't happening, 
John says, the truth is not in you. I hope you're with me. I hope you hear how serious it is. There's, a, there's hope here, right? Always deal with the negative first. Bad news, good news. There's hope here. And the hope is this. God's Word tells us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Knowing God's commandments, that's not salvation. Being in Christ is salvation. Now when we're in Christ, and we come to understand God's Word in truth, then that truth will be expressed in action. How does that look? Well, you obey what His Word says you should obey. You commit to what His Word says you should commit. What it also says is, when His Word says don't do that, you don't do that. Amen? So the first thing is this, the first kind of assurance for you as a believer if you ask the question, but how do I know I know God? Are you obeying Him? Are you obeying Him? He said, but I try. I just don't know how. Well, we can't know Him and not His Word. The only way we get to know Him is through His Word. Yeah, but I have His Spirit. His Spirit lives inside me. His Spirit will always point to the truth. And what's the truth? His Word. I've heard various people proclaim to be Christians and say, but I don't read the Bible. And I go, how? How are you a believer? No, but I... Faith. Faith in what? The Bible says... How do you know it says that? So the first assurance is this. We know God in that we keep His commandments. There's a devotion to His Word. Are you with me? Moves to a second assurance. You see, to know God changes everything. It changes us from the inside out. And one of the ways it changes us, it makes us love to obey Him, to obey His Word, to believe His Word, to follow His Word. Being on the topic of love, point number two says that we can have the assurance of knowing God in His love. And that's relational, right? It's relational. Let's read from verse 5. It says, But whoever keeps His word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Now we can say that true love for God is expressed not in emotional language, not in some claim of mystical expression, but the true love for God is expressed in moral obedience. Well, let me put it this way. The proof of love is loyalty. We love Him, we'll be loyal. And as a result, obviously we go back to point number one, we keep His commandments. 
What would a wife think of a husband who said, Oh honey, I love you. But every week he is engaged in an affair with another woman. What profession is that? It's hollow. Yes. It's not true love because true love is loyal. And therefore God's word tells us this. If you truly love me, then you will be what? Loyal to my word. There will be a commitment to God's word. You see, the truth of God exists so that we would be in an active, practical relationship with Him. We can't just know the word of God. We can't just list the Ten Commandments and say, but I know Him. No, you know snippets of the word. Knowing Him means you know what His wrath would look like in expression. Knowing what His, His love will look like in expression. His grace. That's what it means to know Him. It means you have beheld His character. You have examined Him as the psalmists have. And therefore this relationship we have with Him should express itself in love. And obedience towards God because love delights to do the will of God when we're not doing the will of God we're not loving God are you with me when we're not doing the will of God we are not loving God we're choosing sin we're choosing our own desires we are placing ourselves on the throne where he ought to be but when we love Him, we do His, His will. See, a true example of this is Jesus Christ. Because Christ loved to do His will. You remember what Jesus said in the upper room? John 14 verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. See how the two go together? If you want to have assurance... And, and you just keep His commandments, you'll doubt. But when you keep His commandments, because you love Him, all of a sudden that doubt goes away. And you have the assurance. Therefore the Christian who teaches you can love Christ and not keep His commandments, what is he doing? He's contradicting God. John says he is a liar. However, obedience to God's word is what? Proof of our love for Him. If you love Him, you will obey Him. Listen, I think there are three motives for obedience. We will obey because we have to, or because we need to, or because we want to. Right? A slave obeys because he has to. An employee obeys because he needs to. But a Christian is to obey because he wants to. That's devotion. That's love. Again, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my word. Obey my word. Now here's another example. As children... 
How do we learn obedience? You learn that obedience is necessary or you get spanked. Moms, dads, grandpas, opas, omas. I grew up from a generation where if you don't obey, you're getting a spanking. Or if you obey, then there is some form of reward. So as you grow up, you discover that obedience means enjoyment. It means reward. Now it's similar in our Christian walk. New or young believers must constantly be warned. Or, as they grow into maturity, be rewarded. How does that look? Because listen, I'm not saying we should bribe fellow brothers and sisters. What I'm saying is this, as believers, as we grow in God's word, we don't obey it simply because we have to. We obey it because we understand what it means to love Him. So as a young believer, you need to be constantly warned. Hey, hey, whoa, we don't do that. That's contradictory to the truth. No, no, we don't do that. We do this instead. As a mature believer who has spent time getting to know God through His Word, you realize what? That there is reward in obedience. There is fellowship in obedience. But the moment we disobey, we break that fellowship. The moment we choose to sin, we break fellowship. Yes, the Lord will cleanse you when you confess, turn back to Him. But we don't do that. Listen, the moment we break fellowship with God, do we at that moment stop, confess, and turn back? Or do we feel bad and say, no, no, I'm going to come back to this a bit later on, you know, when I feel better. And that just simply never happens. Tonight when you go to bed, you remember, oh, I did this. God, will you forgive me? But what kind of relationship is that? That's not intimate. To be intimate means to stop here and now and realize I am offending. I am being offensive. I am destroying this fellowship. One commentator summarizes it in this way. The Lord does not give me rules, but He makes His standard very clear. If my relationship to Him, to him is that of love, I will do what He says. But if I hesitate, it's because I love someone I have placed in competition with Him, namely, myself. Can't blame anything else. Can't say it's my spouse. No, it's your desire for your spouse. But it's my children. It's your desire for your children. No, but it's this thing at work. It's your desire for the thing at work. So either you are on the throne or God is on the throne. So up to now, real quick, we have learned that the evidence for knowing God is to know His Word, to keep His Word as an act of our love for Him. Alright? It's not to keep His Word in a form of legalism. It's not to keep His Word because we have to. It's because we want to. Brings us to our third assurance. Now I'm going to get a little bit doctrinal. 
But it's to know God in walking His walk. Amen? From here, I want us to look at verse 5b to the end of verse 6. John says, By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. In other words, if this is true, then you will live like Christ. And how did Christ live? In obedience. In obedience to His Father. You see, to abide in Christ is to experience a life-giving relationship with God through Christ. It's to have a relationship with God where we are actively involved, where we are constantly committed to Him and to His Word, where we give an effort, where we express our love for Him, for His will, for His Word, for the sake of His eternal plan. See, because when this recipe doesn't exist, suddenly we're no longer faithful in our marriages. Suddenly we're no longer faithful parents. Suddenly we're no longer faithful members of the Bride of Christ. You see how everything in our lives will start to fall out of place. Because we're no longer standing in Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. To be in Him. To live in Him. To remain in Him. I want to ask it a bit differently this morning. Are you resting in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in Christ for salvation? Are you fellowshipping with Him in grace? Now if you say yes, then your whole life must have changed up to this point. It must have. I'm not saying rabbit trail. I'm not saying that where you are now, you have a desire to be as on fire as what you were two years ago. Which is another thing that's nonsense, by the way. Some of us as believers, you know, we would, I've heard these testimonies where some would say, listen, two years ago, man, I was on fire for the Lord. I want to go back to that. Do you really? Do you want to go back two years and lose all the knowledge you've gained about your Savior? Do you want to take back two years of experience, of overcoming trials, of growing in grace, just so that it would feel as good as it did at that moment which you remember to you? Listen, to abide in Christ means we remain in Him. We move forward with Him. We grow in Him. We become like Him. And therefore it means that by God's grace, you are obedient to Him. And you have a desire to obey Him. If you don't have a desire to obey Him, then something has happened in your heart. 
idolatry is busy taking place. Friend, you really need to consider repenting of that self-worship. I get how hard it can be. We live in a world that opposes God. And in some way, we follow the world. You might want to abide in Christ. You might want to love Christ. Yet you're struggling to live faithfully in accordance to God's will. Is that true? You're like, yeah, I, I, I want to love Him. But I fall short here. I fall short here. If it's a struggle, having the assurance that you know God should comfort you. The fact that you know God, that you have a desire to love Him, that you have a desire to obey Him, but you're struggling, it doesn't mean you're not saved. Welcome to the party, right? That we will struggle. John says we will always struggle with sin. It's not going to go away. In fact, because you're a savior, uh, a savior, saved, you will be more aware of your sin. And that's when it gets daunting. That's when we start to doubt. But John says, no, no, no. Have the assurance that you know Him. How? By being obedient to Him. By being devoted to Him. And when you do that, and you struggle with sin, hey, you're a Christian. You'll always struggle with sin. Charles Spurgeon was clear when he said, If any man abide in me, he shall bring forth fruit. Right? Now, fruits of righteousness are what? They're good works. And they are evidences that we are abiding in Christ. Spurgeon continues and he says, If I am living in sin day by day, what right have I to conclude that I am a child of God? To struggle with sin is one thing. Because as a believer, we will always battle sin. And with that comes doubt, right? With it comes doubt. But when you choose to pursue sin, when you choose to live in sin, John is saying that you are a child of this world. Because that's what someone from this world looks like. It's the constant choice to, to give in to desires, to pursue sinful desires. I want to get to the point. Some of us here today might profess to be Christians, but you are not living in accordance with God's Word. You have no desire to obey God's Word. You know what John says? John says you're not a Christian. Did you get that? God's word says you're not a Christian. I want to tell you, friend, that you need grace. And our Savior is that gracious. 
that when He does save you, He gives you that desire to want to obey Him, to want to love Him, to want to pursue Him. On the other side of the coin, my dear friends, there are Christians here today who are wrestling with a lack of assurance. And the reason why you wrestle with this lack of assurance is because of sin and because of imperfections in our lives. So to you, I want to ask what John is asking us. Do you have a longing to obey God's word? Despite your struggle, do you have a desire to obey the Lord? Do you have a desire to love the Lord? John is not asking for perfection. Because you know what happens when we pursue perfection? We pursue the Lord and no longer the Lord. But when we pursue the Lord, we're devoted. We're aware. We are intentional. Please don't go home and make a list of the struggles you deal with and want to overcome them by being religious. Don't be religious. Be in Christ. Be in the Savior. John says when you come to Him and confess your sin, what does He do? He forgives you. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. Here's the grace as I wrap it up. For you who are struggling and for you who aren't a believer, there is one formula, let me use that language, that would give us the ultimate assurance. God the Holy Spirit is that person. He gives us the assurance. How? Well, Paul says, even in our prayers, even in our prayers, He is interceding on our behalf. That's amazing. Suddenly, that's very assuring. Because my feeble, prone to doubt heart, might not have the right words to say, but His Spirit sure does. Listen, even for Christ, it was the Holy Spirit. If we want to be like Christ, Friends, if you want to pursue the example of Christ, we cannot do it by our own efforts. See, while Jesus lived on the earth, He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Was Jesus with, did, did Jesus stop being God? No, He didn't. But Christ is our great example. And being that example, He showed us how we can be in constant obedience. It's to rely on God. And therefore, Jesus promised us what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit so that you and I will grow in our desire for obedience. That we will grow in our desire to know God's truth. What does Romans 5 tell us about the work of the Spirit? It tells us that we've been given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. 
And more than that, it tells us that God's love has already been perfected for us. So you want assurance? Look at your life. Look at the fruit in your life. Is it Galatians 5? Are you sinning and you feel remorse? If you're about to sin, is there that urge within you pushing you away from that desire? So I believe that's the Holy Spirit. Listen. You are commanded to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2.12 But Paul doesn't say you do that in your own power. We do that on His power. Christ's power. So perhaps we need to learn to confess the sin which grieves the Spirit. We need to ditch the tendency towards self-reliant because as believers, oh man, we love being self-reliant. But we've been given the Spirit of God. Nope, I want to I do this thing. I'll show you. I, I can do it. Friends, we need to realize and put our trust in the Spirit of God that is living within our hearts. The Spirit of God that doesn't just give us a little help, but who enables, in other words, who gives us the ability to both desire Christ to, and to live in the power of Christ. So, let me conclude by asking you, how can you know that you know God? How can you answer 2 Peter 1.10? How are you going to be diligent to make sure about your call, God's calling and choosing you? Friends, if I have to summarize everything that I have said this morning, it's this. To know God means to know and obey His Word as an act of your love for Him because He has put, in, put Christ in you and the ability to live like Him. That's, first, that's 2 Peter chapter 1. That's all of it. Christ hasn't just saved you, but He's given you the ability to live for His glory, to live in His power. That is Christian assurance, my friends. Knowing God and pursuing His truth. Are you with me? So, in First John, this far we've learned who Christ is and the importance of His humanity. We've learned about sin and, and its consequence. And, and how salvation just, just destroys sin and its consequence. But now we've also learned salvation isn't just a prayer. It's not raising our hands during service. Salvation is to know God. And to know God is to obey God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word this morning. 
although it might be a lot of information, it might be very factual, but I do know this, that it's necessary, because the gospel is factual. The gospel is offensive. The gospel will bring division, because ultimately, it brings salvation into a world that despises it, that doesn't recognize it, that works against it. And so Lord, for us here this day, for us who, who doubt our salvation because we fall short of your glory at a given moment, help us to have this assurance that in knowing you, our sin doesn't just cast us out. Our sin has been paid for by your Son. And therefore we stand in His righteousness. But for the brother or the sister who is here today, who assumed to know you, I pray now with this knowledge, you would work in their hearts and their minds, that you would draw them to yourself and reveal to them ultimately the purpose of the cross, so that they too can experience this love, this devotion, uh, this, this longing for the end where we will be with you and where we will be as you are. So our Lord, we just pray once again for your grace. In your name and in your name alone. Amen.